Alright, it seems we are rolling live, man. Stefan Maia with you at itsouls.com. Why are we called the Church of Christ? And more specifically, why are we called the East Coast Church of Christ? Over here, along with the church I labor with, called the East Coast Church of Christ. Hope you're doing well. This is our Topical Thursday. We are a bit earlier than the norm, and that, of course, is because I have some responsibilities and priorities lined up for the day, some labor work to be done. And uh, so I had to go a bit earlier on my podcast session. It's always good to have you, of course. By all means, please, a bit of housekeeping stuff. Subscribe, like, share, drop a comment. All that kind of good stuff allows the interaction to grow and hopefully surf the algorithm reach out there and finding souls like you and I who might, uh, you know, benefit from the uh, uh, the value of the, the material produced. And uh, we want to extend of course, your way, the opportunity to sign up to addedsouls.locals.com. It's free to sign up, but you can support the work over there monthly. No amount is too low or too high. You will have access to exclusive content, and it certainly helps the work flourish through the Maya family as we labor along the East Coast Church of Christ. You also have the PayPal option donation through addedsouls at gmail.com or perhaps you seek a physical address reach out to me we can have a video chat we can have ourselves a phone call or email exchange to that end so in our topical thursdays and if you take a look of course at our itinerary from monday to friday friday you'll see that on our thursdays we keep it topical the topic of course is speaking about the church that belongs to jesus christ and We'll be pulling up an article that I wrote several months ago in order to describe scripturally why we here in this mission uh, are known descriptively as the East Coast Church of Christ. And uh, hopefully that'll clear up some concerns or questions and uh, be useful to you uh, to that end. So let me see here. In John chapter, I mean, one of the interesting verses, of course, in the scriptures and, uh, well, there are many interesting verses in the scriptures, aren't they? Of course. Well, in John chapter 3, is it 3? Let me see here. Yeah, John chapter 3, verse 3, Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, pay close attention to what I am saying. The source of authority, the divine uh, 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 power is speaking a uh, condition, if you will, an authoritative command, <clears throat> unless... One is born again. See, he's born once out of his mother's womb. That's once. Unless he is born again another time, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God, of course, belongs to God. And if we seek to have legal citizenry, to be members of his church, of his kingdom, if you will, synonymously spoken, uh, we need to adhere to the conditions, the commands. Legally, so, if we seek physical uh, citizenry, we must go through the conditions, the keys, if you will, to the country. If you seek to become a Canadian, you must go through the legal process of becoming a Canadian. An American, it's the same process. All countries have their conditions, their sociopolitical policies in which one must adhere to and fulfill before he or she has been credited, justified to the legal citizenry of the country they applied for. Jesus here is giving us a spiritual condition to legal citizenry in his kingdom. 
And his kingdom, of course, is spoken of throughout the entire Bible. It was birthed from the mind of God. It was prophesied by the prophets of old. It was promised by the Christ, purchased by his blood, and must be practiced by our faith. And so when I go to John chapter 3, verse 3, when Jesus says uh, uh, to Nicodemus, if you will, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one, uh, unless someone, right, a person, a human being created in the image of God is born again. See, he's been born once. He needs to be born again. He's been born from his mother's womb. So there's another birth that is a necessary requirement in order for one to become a child of God. And you can know that, of course, in John chapter 1, verses 12, 13, it says, But as many received Je as received Jesus, to them he gave the right to. So the uh, pre-qualifying conditions in order for one to adhere and become are set forth. One must receive Jesus, and it says, even to those who believe in his name and his authority, believers, receivers and believers of Jesus Christ, have been given the right to become. So they qualify to become legal citizens of his kingdom, members of his church. And of course, there is a very ceremonial, if you will, moment of entry. Uh, the same, if you will, in illustration form. The church that belongs to Christ is spoken of as his bride. Christ is not a polygamist. He has one bride, and he can identify his bride in an ocean of brides. Though you might see great similarities in the many brides, they have eyes, they have noses, they have mouths, they have ears, they have legs, they have arms, for the most part, right? Well, Jesus knows exactly which bride belongs to him. It'd be quite foolish, myself walking into the local public shopping mall, seeing all sorts of women, and simply going home with any of them, calling them my bride because, well, they had arms, and my wife had arms, so this is my wife now. Well, no, that would be quite foolish, and it is humorous to a certain degree. No, Christ, of course, recognizes his bride. So how do we enter into this ceremonial rite, this spiritual uh, citizenry? Well, that's a very good question, obviously, and some uh, have asked that question, and we'll look at that, of course, a bit further. So the verse says, anyone who receives and believes in Jesus have the pre-qualifying uh, rights to become a child of God. And of course, verse 13 would tell us how they were born, not of blood, nor of the will of flesh. So they were, they were born again, not from human flesh, if you will, not from mommy and daddy getting together and procreation taking place, or the will of the mind of man to take place, not the birth canal itself out of the mother's womb. It's, it has nothing to do with man's mind or man's will whatsoever, but rather God's will. That's exactly what that says there in chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. So receivers and believers in Christ have the right to become citizens, legally so, of his kingdom, members of his church, the location, of course, where the saved are gathered. And the very moment of legal citizenry is revealed as being born again. Why are we speaking about these things? Because we're answering the question. Why are we uh, members of the church? What is the church? All these things are very important, and the world out there will not teach you these things. The umbrella of denominationalism 
uh, is quite misguided, though filled with individuals we love dearly and many of them we trust and great, uh, uh, a great many of them, co-workers, family, friends, neighbors, family, I mean, are, are kind people, very kind people, very Christ-like people in their behavior, in their, in their uh, moral compass, if you will. So that's not the problem. The problem is the doctrine, the teachings, the things that they adhere to in tradition. It is not in function to a rightly handled scripture. It is not in accordance to the penmanship of the Holy Spirit, rightly divided. And so that is why there is great confusion out there in regards to this kind of information. And one can find hostility against this kind of information, thinking it uh, uh, as a threat to uh, what we were once born and raised to believe, given to us through ancestral religious uh, paths. Well, if we simply humble ourselves and look at the scriptures with an honest eye as genuine students to the authenticity of the text and the context of the text, uh, we will see that there is a kingdom. It belongs to God. Christ has been given the crown, now king of the kingdom, and we want to be legal citizens of that kingdom. And those in the first uh, century after Christ had fulfilled the gospel plan of redemption for mankind, death, burial, resurrection, witness, and ascension, all of us had been given the freely uh, given gift of uh, the opportunity to the freely given gift of the gospel. And uh, that is the entry, of course. That is the path into legal citizenry uh, added to his church, his kingdom. And we see here that receivers and believers have the right to become. They qualify to the condition and uh, uh, they must be born again. They were born once out of their mother's womb, right? From the from from the travail of male and female, husband and wife coming together and procreation taking place. Okay, well, that was the first birth. And of course, to the Jewish mind, they would have been born into the covenant, the Abrahamic lineage and the customs of Judaism and the ordinances and all these things that had taken place and uh, had to submit to the Old Testament law, which was from God. However, they had since misinterpreted a great many things and had since created all sorts of ordinances and traditions which were hostile against the law of God and had alienated themselves away from God and we know Christ came on this earth, of course, to save mankind, his people, from their sins, and he called them to repentance. And they didn't appreciate that information whatsoever, sadly, and they murdered him. They crucified him. Now, he permitted them to crucify him for the fulfillment of the gospel, which is a testament and witness to the power and might of God's wisdom and mind to fulfill his will. So we seek legal citizenry into a spiritual location, the kingdom, and it's an, it's an inevitable, objective, absolute reality that we must understand. For it says, again, the Christ, inspired, recorded word, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you are born again, you've been born once from your mother's womb, unless you are born again, you will not see the kingdom of God. You will not become a legal citizen of his kingdom. Well, what does it mean to be born again, and how is one born again? Remember, John chapter 1, verse 13. 
not born again from blood or from the will of uh, male and female or, or, or any kind of condition that would come from the mind of man, but rather being born again from the power of God, God working, spiritually operating into man and washing his sins away through the blood of his dearly begotten son, the Christ. And in John 3.16, the so commonly known verse for Christendom, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever should believe in him should not perish, but have eternal life. So those who receive and believe, they qualify. They qualify to become legal citizens of the kingdom. How do they, these receivers, these believers, who are confessing Christ as the Son of God, as their Savior, their King, their Lord, their Master, how do they become they must be born again well how is one born again is it through the mother's womb no the scriptures clearly testify and reveal uh, uh, a different birth than the womb and the canal of the mother's uh, 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 womb out and that's that ain't it so that can't be the birth well so he explains it obviously they would not uh, Jesus would not leave us in doubt or confusion or without answer to that end, obviously, if he is speaking of a kingdom, his, and it is a necessity that you are born again in order to become a child of God, having your sins forgiven and added to his kingdom, then he'd give us the exact very moment in which uh, faith produces the receiving gift of salvation. <clears throat> and of course, he says so in John 3.3. 3. In a prophecy of sorts, speaking forward to uh, <clears throat> the age of obedience to the gospel, and he says in verse 5, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born out of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. So unless one is born again, he can't see the kingdom. Unless one is born again out of water and the Spirit, he can't enter into the kingdom. And it's interesting that the Bible would speak of the kingdom as the church and not any church, his church, the church that belongs to Christ. It's his bride. It bears his name. Again, there are many churches out there. Christ speaks of his church as his bride. There are many brides out there. I have a wife. There are many wives out there. They have arms. They have eyes. They have ears. Can I now pluck out any of them simply because they all have eyes and ears and mouths? Well, of course not. There is one that is very dis very uh, uh, unique, set apart, descriptively. That is my wife. I can see her, recognize her, discern her in a crowd of thousands of other women, other wives. Jesus is the same with his bride. He sees all these churches. And there are similarities in the churches. There are arms, there are legs, there are eyes, there are noses. But he knows which is his. And you and I can know as well because he wrote the information to tell us exactly what his bride looks like. It bears his name. And there is one way and only one way through him that we have salvation. And that's quite interesting. In Matthew, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, let me see here. If we go to Matthew... Chapter, oh, where are you? Chapter 18, is it? 
if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, Matthew 18, right? Uh, no, 16, maybe. Yeah, 16. 16, in regards to Jesus speaking of his church to be. Uh, he says, and he was speaking to Peter, of course, and uh, the coming age that Acts chapter 1 and 2 would reveal, the doors opening to the kingdom. He says, I will build my church. That's what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. I will build my church. He is the foundation. There is no other name, Acts 4.12. He is the foundation. No other foundation, Paul would tell the Corinthians, I believe, but Christ. So he's the rock, not Peter, not a man, not a man who has uh, 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 sinned. But Jesus, who has not sinned, is the foundation. You see, some religious organizations, departures from the truth, if you will, have since misguidingly uh, wrapped their traditions around a thought or a belief view that somehow Peter is the foundation, that somehow Peter is the rock in which Christ built his church. And that's just not true at all. It's, it's a lie. Now, you and I, perhaps, we were born into that religious system. I was, for sure, in my family, my community. We were all born of that system. Uh, that system is called Catholicism, and we have nothing against Catholics, per se. Again, many of them are kind people and very, very morally upright and decent human beings. The problem is the doctrines that we were being taught, that Peter somehow is the founder of the church. He isn't. He never was. The church Christ built was founded upon Christ. He was without sin. So he says in verse 18 of chapter 16, I will build my church ownership. And he continues and says, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. I will give you the keys, which are the conditions. You see, you need to hear the keys, the conditions, in order to become a legal citizen of Canada. If you believe you seek it, if you receive the information, you qualify. So what do you need to do? Well, you need to fill out the documents. You need to produce an outward action of obedience to the law, the powers that be, in order to become a legal citizen. So Jesus here interchangeably speaks of his church. He is the owner. It is founded upon him, and his church is his kingdom. And his kingdom has keys, conditions of entry. And in no way, shape, or form is what he is saying in Matthew chapter 16, verses 18 and 19, in contradiction to what he was saying in John chapter 3, verse 3 and verse 5. It is all speaking of the same entrance and qualification for entrance. If we rightly handle the scriptures, to which we are commanded to do, by the way, because most wrongly handle it and make it say all kinds of erroneous things that it does not teach. You see, we've since created Christianity in our own image to our own selfish desires and ambitions. And that's why we've created all sorts of man-made churches throughout the centuries and millennia that may have certain tenets of Christianity or certain characters of Christianity and Judaism and paganism, and we've mishmashed everything up together according to our own selfish desires. So we have basically created our own personal Jesus, and we've stamped it Christianity. Well, as sincere as some of those attempts may have been, they don't lead to heaven. 
because once again, they are not the bride of Christ. They don't bear his name, nor do they have his descriptive entrance. So in Matthew chapter 16, verses 18 and 19, there is no contradiction with John chapter 3, verse 3, and John chapter 3, verse 5, nor John chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. Speaking of the necessity to receive and believe, qualifying us to become. And in order to become, we must be born again. How so? Out of water and the Spirit. And what is the Spirit? It is the written Word. When you and I read the words of the Holy Spirit, we study the words of the Holy Spirit, we begin to recognize the evidence of the Holy Spirit and believe the written Word of the Holy Spirit and act upon the Word of the Holy Spirit. So we read, we study, we investigate, we believe, we act upon, we obey the words of the Holy Spirit. And what do the Holy and what does the Holy Spirit instruct us to do in order to become legal citizens of the kingdom, members of the church that belongs to Christ? We must be born again. And how does that happen? Out of water, out of water, and the Spirit. You have both. How so? Because the Spirit wrote the word. We obey the word. We are born out of water. Okay, so this here is important information because many organizations out there will not speak these truths. And I simply share them with all love and respect your way. You can deny them, reject them, push them away, speak evil against it. You can call me all sorts of names. That's fine. All I would urge you, again, with reason and logic and, 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 and a, friendly, a friendly hand, meditate on it, marinate on it, read it for yourself. I may be wrong. That, that, I, I'm willing to accept that. I've been wrong with a great many things, and I've had to change my mind in a great many ways throughout the many years. So you need to, of your own independent accountability with the intellectual capability, you, on your own independence, must go to the text and read it for yourself. Go to Matthew chapter 16, verses 18 and 19, and ask yourself, Jesus said he'd build the church. It would belong to him. It would be founded on his name, his authority, him. I mean, what church is that? What is the kingdom that he speaks of? You see, you have to ask these questions. We did. I had to. So, again, as we, we, we move forward to uh, answering the question, why are we called the Church of Christ? This is an important question and why we are looking at these important verses. There are many churches out there. There are thousands of them. So let me in plain, uh, plainly speak clearly to you uh, the bulk of the studies and what they reveal. Jesus built a church. He did. You can, you can read it right there in Matthew chapter 16, verses 18 and 19. Now, that was re spoken and recorded in the first century. Jesus did build his church. And wouldn't you know it, if you go to Mark, Matthew, Mark, chapter 9, I believe. Yeah, chapter 9. Jesus was speaking to the people, saying, Truly I say to you. Now, remember, we're seeing a lot of truly I say to you. It means pay close attention the divine source of power is speaking authoritatively information you need 
to understand and obey. And so he says, Truly I say to you, there are some of those who are standing here. In the first century, you have to put yourself in the context of the first century. Jesus is speaking to people in the first century. And he's telling them right there, literally, physically, among them, saying, there are some of you here who are not going to die before you see the kingdom of God after it has come with great power. Well, what kind of power? Well, John chapter 14, 15, 16, and 17 would speak of that power. It would be the outpouring power of the Holy Spirit upon the twelve chosen vessels, the apostles, to which they could stand up among the people and proclaim the death, burial, resurrection, witness, and ascension of the Christ, and the kingdom therein of the Christ, in which they should seek legal citizenry. So the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, the church that belongs to Jesus Christ, all in of the same, synonymously, though descriptively, perhaps categorized in difference. For instance, the kingdom speaks of a king. The king has order, justice, borders, law, boundary. The church speaks of membership, of body, of family, of unity. So the kingdom and the church are the same, but descriptively, they speak of law and order and family, to which we have God's grace, his mercy, his love, his patience, his long-suffering with us. You see, there are some among you, he says, that are not going to die until you see it. Now, this is in the first century. So individuals in the first century listening to Jesus heard him say, I'm going to see the kingdom of God before I die. And they did, wouldn't you know it, in Acts chapter 1. If we go there, Acts chapter 1. It is all recorded. And of course, Jesus brings to the apostles' attention the remembrance of the promise, the helper, the outpoured power. Remember Mark chapter 9, verse 1, speaking of how those in the first century would not die before they see the kingdom of God coming with great power? Well, they are going to see that power through the outpouring power of the Holy Spirit on the twelve apostles, which was promised to them in John chapter 14, 15, 16, and 17. And so Christ is going to bring to their remembrance this very truth. And it would all go back to the very same moment for mankind to become legal citizens of the kingdom. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again. Born again. And in the text, of course, chapter 1, Acts, verses 26 to chapter 2, verse 1, we see, of course, the grammar specifically to the nearest antecedent, speak of those who were the recipients of the outpoured power of the Holy Spirit, and that was the twelve apostles. They were spiritual men. That is why they were the source in which the citizens, natural men, were seeking answers from. They were seeking answers from the apostles, for it was only the apostles who became the recipients of the outpoured power of the Holy Spirit, which was miraculous. It was supernatural. They were being governed by God, the Holy Spirit. And so they gave information as to how one could become a legal citizen of the kingdom. And they needed to be born again, out of water and the Spirit. And they were told this information, of course, in Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Baptism. Baptism is an interesting word. Plunged, 
dipped, submerged, clothed, buried, baptizo, immersed, fully immersed, underwater, out of water, you come up, you've been born again. Now, of course, that takes faith. Without faith, that is an impossible, an impossible uh, 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 task to fulfill. If you have no faith in Christ, you will never believe that he is going to wash your sins away and have you added to his church in baptism. You'll never believe that. And that is why every other organization out there claiming Christianity does not teach the uniqueness of the church and the way in. Nor do they teach the proper, fa the, the proper practice of worship in spirit and truth towards God. They've since created Christianity in their own image. And it is not in the image of the Christ, sadly. But you and I, we seek the author's information for our mind. We seek the Christ of the Scripture, the Jesus of the Bible. And so we see also in Acts chapter 8, a man who wants to be born again. And he is given the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as a result, they were coming along the road and they saw water. He, this man who had just heard the gospel, he received Jesus, he believed in Jesus. Now he wanted to be born again. So as they went along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, water, what prevents me from being baptized? So this individual who has heard the gospel, believed the gospel, received it and believed it, he qualifies to become a child of God. John chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. And of course, Philip, the evangelist, asked him a question. If you believe with all your heart, you may. You see, if you don't believe in Jesus, he'll never wash your sins away in baptism. Acts twenty two sixteen, And Peter knew that very well. 1 Peter 3, 21. So that Paul, of course, Galatians 3, 26 and 27. Colossians 2, verse 12. Romans 6, 3 and 4. This is the entry into Christ. This is where God adds you to his kingdom legally. When as a repenting believer, you confess him as your Lord and Master, that qualifies you to be saved. What is the very moment of salvation? To get in contact with the saving blood of Jesus Christ. It takes faith. You see, if you have no faith, you will never see salvation. You'll never see salvation. You will only see water and you will only see things that uh, um, have no saving power. But if you have faith in Jesus, you will indeed call on his name and see that you are not going into water, you are going into his tomb where he was laid, dead, and you will die there and your sins will remain there, dead. But you will rise with him in the resurrection, out of that water. You see, many people go to the wrong tomb. You can't go to the wrong church and be baptized right. You can't. You can't be baptized wrong in the right church. The entry level is into the uniqueness of his kingdom and no other. 
Why are we called the Church of Christ? Because it's His church. That's why. And it's quite interesting and very wise in which His church is organized. Autonomously. It's autonomous. We don't have an earthly headquarters to call and ask what to do. That is the realm of denominationalism. So I find it quite interesting when you read it for yourself, in context, away from the influence of religious leaders, pastors and reverends and priests and teachers and preachers and popes and moms and dads and neighbors and co-workers and family and friends, your own independent thought, you open this book and you do not allow yourself to be contaminated. You read it with a pure, humble heart. You'll come to the same common salvation, Jude chapter uh, Jude 3. The same like-minded common salvation. They were all saved the same way by Jesus. That is the entry level into the kingdom. The kingdom of God is the church that belongs to Christ. And there is only one way in. You need to believe. You need to have faith to qualify entry, baptism, out of water and the Spirit. There's no other way. There is no other way, there never has, there never will, in the age of the Messiah, to which you and I are called of good stewardship in this dispensation of time. Now, in the Old Testament, they had to follow the old law. And if you go back to the age of the patriarch, they had conditions in which they needed to qualify and obey. If Noah did not build the ark in accordance to the strict conditions and... uh, 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 how should I say, boundaries uh, that God instructed, then he would not have been faithful. If Noah would not have put his belief into action, he would have never built the ark, he would have drowned, is the idea. Now, you and I, we don't need to build an ark today, nor do we need to become a thief, literally nailed to a cross. You see, the thief on the cross had faith in Christ, and Christ brought him that day in paradise because he was repentant. The thief became a repentant human being, humbled towards the Christ and defended the Christ and his honor. And that day was given the right to paradise, faith. But you see, he was before the cross. You and I, we live after the cross. Romans chapter 9, is it? Or chapter 10? Chapter 9, I think, verse 10. I I get somewhere along those lines. Paul would say, You need to believe in the resurrection of the Christ. Well, the thief on the cross never believed in the resurrection of Christ because he died prior to the resurrection of the Christ. So the thief was a unique faith and salvation. But you and I, we've been given the keys, the conditions for legal entry into the kingdom. We first and foremost must receive and believe. Without faith, none of these things are possible. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, it's impossible to please God without faith. We have to trust that Jesus means what he says and says what he means. And when he says, truly, truly, I say to you, you must be born again, then that is the entry level. That's the entry moment. That's the moment in which you and I are forgiven of sins, saved, and added to his church and no other church. We do not fellowship, nor do we belong to any denomination. So let me again go back to the very beginning here, why we are in Acts, why we were in Acts chapter 1. The church Jesus built was built and established in the first century. The people, they were alive to see the kingdom, 
and they saw what they needed to do in order to be saved and become members of the kingdom. All over the Acts of the Apostles, you will see the proclaiming of the kingdom. Matter of fact, it is the first, the first recorded words of the Christ in the Gospel of Matthew. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And you can see everywhere is where he speaks, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, his kingdom. So if you and I seek entry into his kingdom, we have to understand and submit to his love. For if we love him, we will keep his commands. And he has said the very keys, conditions to entry is baptism out of water and the spirit. In the first century, that was established and thousands of people converted to Christianity and were plunged, dipped, immersed, clothed, buried. They were born out of water and the spirit. And when they came up out of that water, they were saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, having called on his name and they were added to the church Jesus built. This was centuries before the first known departure took place. You see, Jesus established his church. It was called the church that belonged to Christ. Descriptively, it was not a sign on the wall. It was not built with the name of a man. It was built with the mind of God. Descriptively, it is a church, a congregation, a body of believers called out once, together, assembled, collectively, known as the church that belongs to Christ. That's why Paul uh, so uh, clearly uh, said in Romans 16, 16, the churches of Christ, they belong to Jesus. Ownership. Jesus said in Matthew 16, I will build my church, my kingdom. And he has. And people in the first century saw it. And everyone since the first century who has sought to follow the Christ and has had faith in this information were born again. When they were plunged, dipped, submerged, immersed into his church, his kingdom. Paul said those very words to the Corinthians. That's important because denominationalism is a man-made recorded history where man began to create Christianity in their own image. Similar to the Jews had since created their own laws their own religious worldviews and traditions. And Christ came demanding their repentance from that. Only centuries later did we find elders that, that were members of the church Jesus built depart from his church, contaminating themselves with Roman powers, political powers. So you have Elders from the church Jesus built, who withdrew themselves from the church Jesus had built in order now to fellowship and engage Roman powers, officials, leaders, authority, authorities. And together, the departure of these elders from the Lord's church, the church Jesus built, with these Roman powers and political uh, 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 organizers, they formulated, concocted, and created a religion for everyone around the world. Because there was great turmoil, you see, and the, the, the Roman powers were seeing the turmoil. There was turmoil with the pagans, the Jews, and now these Christians. So there was division in their minds with all these religious ways and practices. Paganism, Judaism, Christianity. So they, along with apostatized elders of the church Jesus built, 
Roman powers and these apostatized elders, they came together and they said, we need to fix this problem. Oh, how are we going to do that? Well, we need to have sociopolitical power over the people to which we lead them, to which we tell them what they believe, how they believe it, and how this works. This is how we're going to have order and no longer any division. We'll have peace this way. Okay, I agree. So what is the what are we creating here? We need to create a universal religion. This took place centuries after the fact that Jesus had built his church. Centuries later. Here they are saying, let's build a universal religion where we will have we, we, we will have uh, tenets and practices of paganism, Judaism, and Christianity all together. So everyone will have a universal religion with a mishmash of paganism, Judaism, and Christianity. And in came the first known recorded denomination, departure in our history, called Catholicism, the Roman Catholic Church. Do you know what Catholicism means? It means universal. Everyone adhering to the same religious tradition, which was created for political sway and power and control, allowing all different worldviews, paganism, Judaism, and Christianity, to become one in a mishmash of doctrines that, of course, ebbed and flowed and changed throughout the centuries. And through Catholicism was birthed Protestant, uh, Protestantism, protesting against the Catholic Church. And Protestantism was a pendulum swing way too far on the left, for Catholicism had swung too far on their direction. And both of them, Catholicism and Protestantism, missed the mark and have no membership or legal citizenry with the church Jesus built. However, throughout the timeline of our history, the church which belongs to Christ remained active. From the very beginning to now, it has remained active. And those of us who seek the word are set free from the bondage of denominationalism and in which came certain religious organizations like the Baptist Church, Pentecostal, Methodist, Wesleyan, uh, Gospel Halls, um, House of Nazareth. I mean, I could go on and on. There's thousands of them, thousands of them. They are all man-made organizations created by the mind of man who have since created Christianity in their own image to their own ambitions. And some of them done so sincerely, but sincerely wrong. And this is not an attack on character. Many people, myself included once, members of all these different denominations are kind, decent people. They're morally upright, at times even more so than true, pure Christians are acting at times. So the problem is not the character or the behavior of decency and Christ-like uprightness. The problem is the doctrine they're not legal citizens of the kingdom of God, of Christ. They're not members of his church. Their doctrines are the problem. You would have found in the Sanhedrin, which held, of course, the Pharisees, Sadducees, uh, chief priests, elders, and all these, you would have found decent and kind men there. Now, many of them were, of course, greedy and jealous and self-righteous and all these things, prideful, all that. You, certainly, no doubt. 
but you would have also found some very decent individuals there. See, the problem was not decency. Nicodemus seemed like a decent man. Like an upright, morally upright, decent man. Very kind man. But he had it wrong. And if you have it wrong, because one cannot save himself through meritorious works he can or she can boast about, we have to rely solely on the Christ. And so you can be a kind and decent individual. Most certainly we are called to be kind and decent loving human beings. But that alone will not save you. You must be a member of the church Jesus built. The church of belonging to Christ. So you and I, we want to go away from the secular haze and away from the confusion of the denominational world. You and I simply want to be Christians we simply want to put our full trust in Christ and be members of that, of the church Jesus built, and nothing else. That, mean, that doesn't mean we're not friendly with people who are snared in the deceptive webs of denominationalism. Not at all. I'm quite friendly to all family and members and friends and neighbors. and co- I'm, We are simply not in fellowship with their doctrines. Their doctrines teach error, giving their memberships a a false hope of a heaven they will never have. And that is exactly what the devil, devil wants, to have you fully convinced in conscience that you are on the way to heaven when in fact you stand condemned. He does not want you questioning. He does not want you humbled, looking in the mirror saying, what if what I was born and raised to believe religiously has been wrong? What if my idea of Christianity is completely erroneous? What if I live in a location of the world where everyone around me has been taught and brought up to believe something that's not right, but portrays itself, masquerades itself as something right or Christ-like? You have to ask those questions. Why are we called the Church of Christ? Because it's His church, it's His bride, it's His body, it belongs to Him. Is it true that you will find out in the community perhaps many churches who call themselves the Church of Christ? They'll have a sign out there that says the Church of Christ. Is it true that you will find many churches that have a sign outside that says Church of Christ, yet when you walk in there, they are a cult or they are a denomination? Or they are doing and practicing and behaving in ways that you know the Bible teaches against. Absolutely. I assure you, you will find churches out there that have a name outside that says Church of Christ that do not belong to Jesus Christ whatsoever. No doubt you'll find that. I assure you, you will. I have. You will too. We do not allow that to contaminate us. Just because the devil builds a door on the left side of his house doesn't mean you and I are damned if we build a door on the left side of our house. The devil's going to pluck out Jesus' names for his own selfish agenda. No doubt. So there are churches called the Church of Christ that are cult-like organizations, denominations, who practice all sorts of uh, misguided things and doctrines. No doubt. We don't want to be... Uh, uh, deceived into those things. But that does not remove the fact that the church 
that Jesus built is his, and it is descriptively known as the church that belongs to Christ, the church of Christ. You have to have faith. You have to receive and believe this information that you can read of for your own independent accountability in the Bible. You see, that's why, ultimately, ultimately, those who have created Christianity in their own image, they don't want the Bible to be the perfect law of, of liberty. They don't want the Bible to be the sole source of authoritative, inspired information. They don't want that. Because the minute you start to read for yourself the God-breathed information of the 66 books of the Holy Bible, the penmanship of the Holy Spirit, then you'll start to get wise to a great many things. And those who have created Christianity in their own image, they don't want you getting wise. The Pharisees didn't want the people to listen to Jesus. Listening to Jesus was bad for the Pharisaical business. Diotrephes don't want anyone listening to John or Gaius or Demetrius. Diotrephes, the last thing he wants in the conquest of his preeminence is to have you believing the faithfulness and truth of John, Gaius, and Demetrius. You have to withdraw from those toxic sources and start thinking freely with a humble heart. Faith. If you have faith in Jesus, you receive him, you believe him, you are willing to change your mind, repentance, then you qualify to be baptized, immersed, plunged, dipped, calling on his name, which is exactly, of course, what he said in Matthew chapter 28, the last verses, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You are being plunged, dipped for the forgiveness of your sins, added to his church. It's really that simple, and I'm not smart enough to make it say something else. Now, we go to an article here, uh, quickly, as we have about 10 minutes left, that I wrote in regards to the local assembly here, the autonomy of our local assembly here called the East Coast Church of Christ. We are autonomous. There is no headquarters to call. The only head of this church is Christ. Why? Because it's his church. We have elders. We will soon have qualified deacons all of which are equal, by the way, in office, servants. Servants. We only serve. We, can't, we don't condemn. We serve. And here in this mission, in the east coast of Canada, in New Brunswick, Canada, we are designated as the East Coast Church of Christ. And the article goes as such, and I'll read it and we'll go through it together. I wrote this several months ago, of course, because individuals were asking, why do you call yourselves the church, the East Coast Church of Christ? Well, I'm thus far, I've been talking to you as to why we are calling it the Church of Christ. Why are we called the East Coast Church of Christ? Very good question. Simple, really. First, we're on the East Coast. We're on the East Coast of Canada here. Almost everything around here is called East Coast. Something, truly. It really. Look in the look in the itinerary. Go Google <laughs> the... the uh, the phone book, and you'll see all these businesses and organizations and things that a lot of people, I mean, because we're on the East Coast, it's easy to say, oh, East Coast, blah, blah, blah. Okay. Also, we currently congregate in our homes, and at times our homes change, but they always remain on the East Coast. And once we build a designated location in the community, it will still be on the East Coast, an area of hospitality, 
the truth, peace, support, mission, and healing. The local body of believers that belongs to Christ. It has utility and purpose and rings a decent tone, the East Coast Church of Christ. It is a church belonging to God on the East Coast. So named, as per 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2, a principle. Okay? We want to call the church that belongs to Christ according to his name. The scriptures guide us to that end. And once we grow large enough, some among us may take up the task down the road and be another location of assembly where other people can have the opportunity to be added. Acts chapter 2, verse 47. Now again, added where? If you went back to the first century and spoke to individuals who were being born again out of water in the spirit, they were being baptized, calling on his name, trusting Christ, being saved out of that, coming out of that water, added to the church. If you were to ask them, which church are you a part of now? They wouldn't know what you're talking about. They'd be, well, the church Jesus built, of course. You see, because that was way before denominationalism came in. Denominationalism is a departure. It has nothing to do with Jesus. And no living soul in a denomination can have eternal life because it does not belong to Christ. You cannot have Jesus without his church. You can't have the husband without the wife. And so once we grow large enough, uh, uh, we take the task to go down the road and assemble others. Meaning if we reach 200 members, 50 of our faithful members in a congregation of 200 faithful members will go down the road. Or perhaps 20 will go down the road and grow the word of God there. And once we grow large enough, some among us might take up the task down the road and be another location of assembly where other people can have the opportunity to be added, Acts 2.47, always autonomous and in fellowship within the boundaries of his doctrine. We are in fellowship with all other churches around the world that belong to Jesus faithfully. They bear his name, they respect and honor his doctrine, and they have the right motive of the heart in accordance to the law of Christ, mercy and grace. We fellowship with them. But they are not our overlords. They are not the headquarters. We don't call somewheres on earth and say, so what, do the church, what does the church of Christ have to preach this day? We don't have to because our source of authority is the Bible, Christ. Always autonomous and in fellowship within the boundaries of his doctrine. They also will be a church that belongs to Christ on the East Coast, perhaps the North End Church of Christ. You see, this can, this can be learned. This is something you and I can understand. There's only one Walmart, correct? Of course. But many other Walmarts worldwide, of course. One church has many locations worldwide, yet it must be of the same kind, his. It'll bear his name, and you'll be saved with the common salvation. That's why when you, you, you can know to a certain degree who is saved and who is lost. If I sit down with you and I ask you, what is your religious belief? And you say, I'm a Christian. I might ask you, oh, that is wonderful. How did you become a Christian? And you say something other than, I was baptized into Christ, his church, for the forgiveness of sins. I will know that you are not a Christian yet. And that is very offending to the individual who is being told you are not a Christian yet, who has always believed they were Christians. 
similar, of course, to the Christ telling the Jews that they were lost. Well, how dare he say that? We have ancestral lineage back to Abraham. We have all these documented into the temple. Like, how dare he tell us we're lost? Of course we're not lost. Well, they were. You see, in order to become a Christian, it is not of man's way. It is of the mind of Christ, of God. When you are born again, out of water and the Spirit, you are born into the family of God. You are given the family name, Christian. If you're born in my family, you're going to be a Maya. But if you're born again into the family of God, you're going to be a Christian. It's the family name. So if you've not been born again according to what Jesus instructed, then I, then we know you're not a Christian. Important information, if you truly are genuinely humble to the Christ. One church has many locations worldwide, yet it must be of the same kind, his. All those who belong to Christ go back to 30 AD, the first century, in Jerusalem, during the reign of the Roman Empire, as per the prophet's prophet's confirmation. We are beings of an ancient age living among the current culture. We have flesh, yet we walk in spirit. Second, the church, C-H-U-R-C-H, is the assembly of people we must seek, Matthew 6.33. It is a priority you must seek. Seek ye first the kingdom. The kingdom of God is the church that belongs to Christ. People in the first century were told they were going to see that before they died. They did. And it came with great outpouring power from the Holy Spirit upon the twelve chosen vessels, the apostles. That's why they asked the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Acts chapter 2, verse 37 and following. Well, what do you need to do? You need to be born again. You need to repent. And you need to be immersed, calling on his name for legal citizenry. So the, the church is the assembly of people we must seek, Matthew 6, 33. The kingdom of heaven, God, the called out ones, called out of a dying world, those who read the gospel, investigate the gospel, believe the evidence of the gospel, and obey the gospel, John chapter 3, verse 16, and John chapter 3, verse 36, are products of his gospel, Romans 1, 16, his church, Matthew 16, 18. Now, of Christ, of Christ, in other words, belonging to Christ, we are independent souls collectively gathered and belong to Christ because the Bible says that everyone who loves Jesus will follow Jesus. Immersed in Jesus, Acts 22:16. We belong to Jesus, Colossians 1:18. Legal citizens of his kingdom, Revelation 1:6. And so the point is this: Christ has ownership. His name has authority. He is the king of his kingdom, and there is no other name given, Acts chapter 4, verse 12. So, Though we are added members, this church does not belong to me. I didn't create it, nor does it belong to you. You didn't create it. It is not built by the hands of men or anyone else but Jesus, making us equal, living by the freedom and privilege of his New Testament law, Matthew 26, 28. Every church worldwide that follows Jesus according to the Bible, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, living faithfully to his love, Hebrews 11.6, clothed in his forgiveness, Galatians 3.26 and 27, belongs to his fold of saved people, 1 Corinthians 1.18. We know our master by name, his being, his guidance, 2 Timothy 3.16 and 17. And because his grace and the truth has, have blessed us, we have discerning wisdom to identify churches that do not belong to his majesty, Matthew 7, verse 21 uh, through 23. 
This information keeps us humble and growing, safe in Christ, Romans 8, 1. And as per the inspired words of Paul, our brother, the churches of Christ salute you, Romans 16, 16. And that indeed concludes the article uh, that I wrote. And you can read that article, and you have access to that article over at addedsouls.substack.com. So, again, why are we called the church that belongs to Christ, the church of Christ? Because it's his church, and we were born again into it. I extend to you the opportunity to reach out and study with us. We are a growing local assembly that belongs to Jesus. We are disenfranchised with organized denominationalism, which does not belong to Jesus. Yet our loved ones are snared into those organizations, and we're trying to help them convert out of that before it's too late. We would love to study with you. We would love to have you visit. Of course, only if you find yourself a very humble, sincere, seeking soul. We've been growing. Our Lord's Church, the church that belongs to Christ, the East Coast Church of Christ over here in New Brunswick, Canada, offers family and love, thoughtfulness, forgiveness, of course. It offers goals and commitment, hopes. It has ministries for all ages. It's a wonderful, beautiful spiritual location. And you should want to know more about that. And though it might be challenging and difficult to let go, perhaps, a great many things you were taught religiously, the benefit of what you will receive in return far outweighs what you would be letting go. And you would be honoring those you loved who have since passed away. You would be honoring their name by doing what the Christ has commanded us to do. And I assure you, those above, those who have gone on and have passed away that we love, they want us to do what's right. They want us to do what's right. And they want us to be set free. Set free from the bondage of denominationalism. Set free from the bondage of false doctrines. There are so many of them. So many of them. The devil, he's been around for a while, and he knew how to confuse the people with this nonsense. The needle in the, ha the haystack, it exists. It takes a lot of effort to get to it, though. There are mountains of hay, but there's a needle in there. Stefan May is my name, addedsouls.com is the website. Please consider signing up, subscribe, like, share, drop a comment, all that kind of good stuff. Please consider supporting addedsouls.locals.com. You sign up over there. There's the PayPal option, addedsouls at gmail.com. And you can contact me if you'd like a physical address. This, of course, relies solely on those who are members of the Lord's Church who are willing, who are willing and able to, to support this ministry, this work, to freely proclaim this message to all who seek it. It's a beautiful thing. All right, my friends, stay focused and stay positive. Lord willing, we shall see again <clears throat> each other again next time. Peace out.